0: Well, we're in a series now called the Red Letters, and and you may have had, uh, you may have a version of the Bible. If you look on the uh, index, there it'll say the Red Letters, and all the letters in the New Testament in red are the words of Jesus Christ. So, when I say the Red Letters, what I mean is in these next sixteen weeks, we're going to be looking at the very words of Jesus Christ, and uh, I'm uh, I'm very excited about those words. And uh, happy to bring this to you. And today we're talking about a man who cried out to Jesus. When you need help, who do you call? What's your first thought? Is it your spouse? Is it your dad? Your mom? Your doctor? A good friend? Is it your pastor? Is it Dr. Laura? Who is it that you call when you need help? We're going to read about a guy in the Bible today who cried out to Jesus and showed us where to really get our needs met. His name is Bartimaeus. He had hurt in his heart and he was a blind man, despised by the culture, thought of as one who had sin in his life because of his sickness. But he turned to Jesus and Jesus touched him. My whole emphasis in this sermon is to get you to take your needs to Jesus because he cares about you. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and touch our hearts. Your word says in this world we'll have trouble, but then it says be of good cheer because Jesus, you've overcome this world. So whatever our needs are, you have the power, you have the love to meet them. We open our hearts to you, and I ask you to move in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things from the text today that I want to emphasize, and the first is this. Jesus has mercy on those who cry out to him. Let's pick up the story about this man in Mark 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, So it's a big crowd moving out of the city following Jesus. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. The lowest of the low in the culture. Verse 47 When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, Have mercy on me. Now, you must have been shouting pretty loud to get over the noise of a crowd. And everybody was noticing and turning, and they seemed to be irritated. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. These are the same people who told him to be quiet a moment before. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I don't know how easy that would be as a blind man to get to Jesus. But he really felt that if he'd get there, Jesus could heal him. He must have heard about Jesus. He must have heard of his miracles. He must have at least felt he was a great prophet. He wasn't timid or shy. He didn't care what people thought. He shouted to the point where he irritated everybody around him. He didn't seem to care about that because he knew what Jesus could do. People were rebuking him saying, be quiet, but those are people who didn't understand the heart of Jesus. They must have thought something like this. He's so famous and he's got so many things to do. He wouldn't want to mess with you, a poor beggar blind man. Perhaps they thought this, don't call him, he'll call you. That's how some people feel about Jesus as Christians, if we're not careful. Well, I've made mistakes, and I'm I'm not really anybody special. Jesus wouldn't meet me. He doesn't know exactly where I am. He wouldn't care to bring me forward. But in the midst of all that, Jesus shows his heart for everyone. He cares about everyone. It's a heart of compassion for people who are hurting. It's a heart of love when others... Love that person. He shows them the error of their thinking when he says, hey, call him. I want to talk to him. I want to help him. There's a question that will be in your life group homework as a small group start up again this season. This week, this question will come before you. Do you think Jesus wants to help you? Let's think about you for a moment. Do you think he wants to help you? Or do you think like those around Bartimaeus, he probably doesn't want to help you. You're insignificant in this world. Thank God the poor man didn't feel that way. The blind man somehow knew if he could just get to Jesus, Jesus had power and Jesus had mercy. And so he shouted out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Sometimes we feel like Jesus isn't interested in little old us. Probably all of us have felt that way at one time or another, to some degree. But he loves you. It's an interesting week for me this week. I went to an event called the Oregon Ministry Network um, Intermission, and it's for pastors. It's an event put together by the Assemblies of God, pulled together a few hundred pastors. And one of my friends, Mark Batterson, was speaking. Now, I knew Mark way back when we went to the King Seminary, Jack's, Jack Hayford Seminary in Los Angeles. I would travel in the early days here as a pastor to go to that seminary, and Mark and I would meet up and have classes there. He was a young man who was bright, loved the Lord, and we became friends right away. And after classes, we'd hang out because, after all, we're away from home and trying to figure out what to do in the evening. So we'd eat together, play a little hoops. What, whatever uh, we, we decided to do that night before classes the next day. Well, then I would travel to D.C. where he was pastor and meet with Dick Fost. So every time I would travel annually to meet with that Dick Fost mentoring group, some of you are familiar with that, that I meet with that guy who pours into my life and a few others. I'd always meet early when I would go with Mark Batterson because we, we were friends when we went to seminary. Here's the deal. Mark has become famous. He wasn't famous 14 years ago at that seminary, but he's famous now. He's a prolific Christian author who's had one of his books uh, sell 250,000 copies and has a contract to write several more. He's really being listened to. Now, some of you, I want to talk about the Emerging Church for a moment. Uh, That's a a group of young pastors who uh, are trying to reach this culture where it's at And there's kind of a fringe edge of that that's kind of dangerous. But Mark, here's what I want you to know. There's some emerging church guys that are right on with Jesus. Don't lump people all together. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Take each case individually and look at whether they love Jesus and they lift up the word and they're reaching the culture. You know, the Bible says the sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew what to do. Well, Mark, I'm so pleased, has become a speaker that's very popular for the emerging church crowd of pastors. I love that because he's into the word and he's into prayer and he's into the principles, not just new methodology. So he's become famous. He has 24,000 Twitter followers. He has one of the most looked at Christian blogs in the nation and now he's, he's famous. Well, I knew him before all that. And I remember recently... We were in a staff meeting, and some of the young guys on our staff really liked Batterson because, you know, he appeals to that crowd. He's about 10 years younger than I am. And um, I said to him, hey, you know, Mark's my friend. We're, you know, I've, I've known him for a long time. And after that meeting, I had this funny feeling because we hadn't connected much in the last couple years. I thought, well, Mark's famous now. I wonder if he really is my friend. You know, I, I know I consider him myself to be his friend but I don't I'm not sure he considers me to be his friend and I just had this funny feeling but he was coming and we connected to try to do lunch when he was going to speak at this event that I was talking about and then Bill Wilson our superintendent called and said hey can you pick him up and take him so I picked him up and the moment he got in the car Karen and I were together It was just on. It was just like it had always been. We were friends, we were talking. I thought, Oh, maybe we are friends. We were having fun and laughing and sharing stories about what the Lord has done and our dreams and what we hoped the Lord would do. And then we get to the event and he's up speaking and man he was he just hit it out of the park. I mean he was blessing and encouraging ministers in an incredible fashion. And then in the middle of his sermon, these are peers that I've been around here in Oregon for these pastors, these two or 300 pastors, I, I've been around them for probably uh, 20 years, hanging out with these guys. And he says in front of all my, my friends, he says, my friend Stan Russell, when he's speaking. And I forget what he was talking about, but I heard that. <laughs> and, then, and then later, uh, when he wanted prayer, he said, I want my friend Stan to come down here and pray with us. And someone came up to me afterwards, because they all esteem him highly, and they said... Uh, you're famous. That's what they said to me. You're famous. I said, yeah, I'm famous for being a friend. That's what I'm famous for. And I thought the guy was pretty sharp. He said, that's the best thing to be famous for. That's, that's a thought for another day. But a good friend is hard to find. And um, afterwards on the way back home, uh, they shut down the tunnel and he was already late and I was driving him. And I had to drive fast, and I've asked Jesus to forgive me. But we got to the airport on time. He got out just barely. But before he left, he said this, you know, one of the best things about being here this week was reconnecting with you. So when he left, I thought, we are friends. You know, it's nice to know that you have friends who um, have influence and to some degree, power. Now, why would I tell that story? Because I want to talk to you about someone who says that he's your friend. Mark's a good guy. Mark has a lot of good thoughts, but there's a teacher who's much, much greater. His name is Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus says about you in John five or fifteen, fifteen. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends. What? The King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, who has all power in his hands, says that you are his friend. Maybe you don't feel that way all the time, but it's true. Maybe you just need to get with him a little bit so he can remind you. That's why I like it when you come here, because the Spirit of Christ is here. And he's reminding you today how much he loves you and that he's your friend. And listen... This friend of yours, Jesus Christ, it's true that he's the king of kings. It's true that he's the most powerful force in all of the universe. And it's also true with all of that, with all of his majesty, that he considers you to be his friend. Wow. Think of the possibilities when Jesus is your friend. Bartimaeus decided that Jesus would have a heart towards him. He hoped for it, and he cried out. And Jesus said, bring him here. You know, if I could do anything today, I I just want you to know the heart of Jesus for you so you can come into his presence and you don't have to be afraid that he'll reject you. What you'll hear from Jesus is I have a heart for you. I know what you're going through. Yes, I know about your mistakes. Yes, I know about your trials, but I'm here for you. You'll bring all his power, influence, and love to bear for your situation. 1 Peter 5, 7, the amplified version of the Bible says, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. I like the way it says he cares about you affectionately. Jesus has mercy, not only on Bartimaeus, but on you and me. Jesus has power, not only available to Bartimaeus, See, I don't think it was just Bartimaeus' eyes that were about to be healed. I think it was heart, his heart too. Sitting and begging with a cup. Thought of by the culture as probably the lowest of the low among people of faith because after all, you wouldn't be blind if you were close to God. That's what they thought in that day. Jesus was about to heal his heart too. And Jesus has that same heart for us. Now the second thought I get from this text today that I believe the Lord would speak to us. Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you? That's what he said to Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, now they brought him. He's been yelling. They bring him before. Rabbi, I want to see what's your need today what do you need Jesus to do for you hopefully you're not thinking like others in this passage good thing Bartimaeus didn't listen to them they thought God didn't have enough time for an insignificant person like Bartimaeus oh I'm so glad Bartimaeus didn't feel that way he somehow understood something about not only the power of Jesus but the heart of Jesus Do you understand that Jesus stops for you as well? That Jesus wants to help you? What do you want him to do for you? A couple of years ago, somebody asked me a question. I don't know that I've been asked it before. If you could have one prayer answered in your life, what would it be? Well, what was interesting is it wasn't for me, it was for a family member. I've been praying for 20 years for one of my family members. And I won't tell you the story, but I'll tell you this. Just recently, my prayers were answered. It has been incredible to see the power of God come into that situation. Now, I wouldn't go to him for things if I didn't really believe in my heart that he loved me and he had the power to help and his heart was towards me. But it's not just towards me. Listen, I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I'm no different than you. I'm a human being. That's why I feel a little bit funny about standing up here sometimes cuz I don't want you to elevate me and I don't want to elevate myself. We're all trying I'm just trying to get you to look to Jesus. Now, it's true I need to do that with my life, not just my words, and I've I've worked hard at that to be faithful in front of you and everywhere else. But I'm human. I can't meet needs but I know Jesus meets my needs and he'll meet your needs too because he cares about you and he loves you. John 16, 24, talking about what you need now. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Now that's good enough for me to say he'll give you joy, but I really like it when it says the fullest possible joy. That is cool. That he's not only concerned about your physical body, he's concerned about your emotional makeup. Will you ask him? Will you realize he has a heart for you? Some of you may have heard me talk about traveling with my siblings when we were young. I went to 36 schools before I graduated from college, and um, only two colleges and four high schools. we didn't do homeschool in those days. My dad was a traveling salesman and we ended up being in about 45 states as far as we can tell. So we were just dropped into a school for weeks or months sometimes and then move on. I had my times tables down but I missed a little bit of curriculum flow, you know, along the way there. But we had our family together and one of the things I remember about traveling, we traveled late at night because well, we were moving on the move quite a bit. And, and there were four kids all a year apart, so let's say 9, 10, 11, 12, and we'd sit in the back seat and when we get tired, we'd wake up, you know, after sleeping a little bit, ache a little bit, we'd all have to shift the other way. It's the only way we could sleep together this way, sleep together that way, you know, if you put two different ways, bodies got tangled and it. it was terrible. But then when we were traveling, we would be going so long, so far, we, we would uh, want to stop sometimes. And one of the things I remember is the other kids always wanted me to ask dad for things. Ask him if we can stop and get a Coke. Ask him if we can stop and run up that hill. I mean, just dumb stuff. And I I was like the the, the third child. And I never quite understood it. I kept saying, you ask. And they said, no, you ask. You're good at asking. And they'd always talk me into it. And I'd ask and sometimes he'd say no, but sometimes he said yes. And he said enough yeses to keep me coming back. That's just the way it worked. But why, why would I ask my dad? Well, number one, I thought my dad loved me. I realized that. Uh, number two, I thought he had a heart for me, to bless me. Because I'd seen him do it many times before. And number three, I knew he had the resources to make it happen, right? Pull out that wallet and we were into the goodies in no time, you know. Not every time. Now, when you have an orientation towards an authority that says, they like me, they're good, they have a heart to help me, you're more likely to ask and you're more likely to receive. So let me bring that to bear with your thoughts of Jesus Christ, of God the Father, who has a heart towards you. He loves you. He wants to bless you and he has resources to make it happen when you ask. If you would just come before him with a heart of expectation to know that he cares, you're going to be blessed, because he loves to bless his children. 1 John 5, 14, and we can be confident that he will listen to us whenever we ask him for anything in line with his will. I think that's an important part of that scripture, in line with his will. I'll just say that I've gotten my will a few times, and none of them, not one time was it good. So I've learned that his will is better than my own will for me and I want to discover that. And so I ask with that in mind. Sometimes I ask for things that aren't good for me but he has a heart towards me. He'll direct me, he'll help me and he'll bring his resources to bear. He'll give me the desires of my heart when they're the right kind of desires. Verse 15, and if we know he is listening when we make our request, now that's faith, to believe he's listening, we can be sure that he will give us what we ask for. He has a heart for you. I have a heart for my family. I, I love my wife. And she's such a servant. She works so hard all the time. She's my administrative assistant at work. And um, I'm her administrative assistant at home, is how it, is how it works. But one of the things I, I delight in doing for her, it's just a small thing, is making her coffee. And I'll try to just catch her during the day, say, you want a cup of coffee? And then I'll just get it for him, and we'll sit down and we'll talk, and that, that's a reward for me when we sit down and talk. It's a small thing, but I, I want to I bless her. I love my son. He's at Northwest University in Kirkland right now. It was his birthday last week. We were going to go see him, and the corons we were going to sing, and he's in the corolan, so we were going to go up and see that concert and celebrate his birthday. And he got sick just before the concert. And he couldn't go to the concert. He was just sick in his room and couldn't hardly move, so sick. And I, I said to Karen, we talked about it, and we said, let's, let's, go, let's just go. Forget the concert, let's go see our boy, make sure he's okay. So we went up there, spent time with him, hung out, it was just good for my heart because I want to help him. I want to bless him because he's my boy. I love my daughter, Candice. Candace is recently gone through a radiation treatment to kill her thyroid because she was allergic to the thyroid medicine. It's been quite a trial for her and for us as well. But she is a trooper, man. She just fights through it and she's working and she comes home from work and she's really tired as she's trying to get these medications balanced and everything's happening. She came home just a couple days ago tired and I got a warm compress for her back and heated it in the microwave and I brought her water and put a blanket on her because I love that girl. She's my girl, I want to bless her. I don't even think of it as spoiling her. Now, I'm a decent husband and a decent dad. But my family would be the first to tell you that I'm not all good. I think my kids would say there is a God and dad's not him. That's what they would tell you (laughs) if they sat with you. And I'm not perfect but I have that much love in my heart for my family, and much more, literally, I would, I, I would give my life so they could live. And listen to what it says in Matthew 7:11. "If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Our heavenly Father has a heart towards you. He doesn't make any mistakes. He cares about you more than any good earthly dad could care about their children. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, they care for you. And that is awesome. With that in mind, will you ask him for help in your situation? What do you need? Third thought today. When you place your faith in Jesus, He'll give you all you need. I didn't say all you want. I said all you need because that's what good fathers do, right? God is good. I want to talk about faith here for just a moment. There is a a group in the Christian circles and they they are definitely in the body of Christ. But I think think they, they overplay this faith thing a little bit. They make it seem like if you'll just believe it hard enough and well enough, God has to do what you want Him to do. They don't leave room for a sovereign God who knows better than we do. They don't leave room for the fact that this is not heaven. This is earth. That God will use pain to bring blessing as He builds us and grows us. That, those people who talk about faith in the sense that God just, you command Him and He does whatever don't really understand that he's the one in charge, not them. I believe they mean well. I, I, You know, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love them, and I, I, you know, I'll even let them pray for me. But sometimes they they, they just overplay it and make people feel guilty, like, well, you don't have faith, and so, you know, you're not going to get well, it's your problem. I have a friend who was sick once and someone said to him well if you had faith you'd be well and he said hey you know that story in the Bible where the paralytic was let down the roof from his friends and Jesus healed the paralytic and they said yeah and he said who did it say whose faith was it that, that made him whole that day and the guy said well it was their friends and he said hey maybe it's your fault I'm not healed then I want you to know it's great faith when you trust God and see miracles. Bartimaeus was healed, and I believe in healing. We've seen a ton of people healed in this church, physically healed. Doctors' reports change and come back because Jesus is so awesome. But I want you to know it's great faith when you pray for healing and trust God if you don't get healed. Hebrews 11 says they were living by faith when they died, and the world was not worthy of them. And it was counted as righteousness, it says unto them. It's faith to believe and see healing, but faith to believe when healing doesn't come, and God honors both of those things. Now that said, we, you know when some people overdo it in this area of faith, you, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, because someone does it wrong and start pull back from faith and healing. you can't do that because you'll miss way too much. It is undeniable that there's a relationship between faith and God and miracles. It's not faith in your ability to believe it. It's faith and trust in God and how great and wonderful he is and that he has a heart towards you. And we see that correlation of faith here in Mark 10, 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And the blind man's healed. Immediately he receives his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. It is faith in Jesus Christ that brings healing. Faith in his ability, not ours. One of the big enemies of faith is fear. Luke 8.50, there was a man who had a daughter that was sick. And he came to Jesus, but when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just trust me and she'll be all right. I believe the Lord would say to us about our fears, don't be afraid, just trust me and it'll be all right. When I was a boy, I was afraid of the dark. How many were afraid of the dark when you were a child? How many of you are still afraid of the dark? All right, a few honest people there. I'm not afraid of the dark unless Karen is gone, and when she's gone, I get really afraid. I don't know what it is. It's just weird. She's such a great protector. But as a little guy... I was afraid that there was someone in my room when that light would go out. But it wasn't the closet. You know, some of you open the closet. I never had any fears of someone being in the closet. My guy was under my bed. That's where my guy was. And most people, when they think of the, you know, there's really no one under the bed or in the closet, right? So it's, it's not a founded fear. And yet every night I was scared to death of something that wasn't actually there. Most people would think when they have that fear that that guy's going to grab your ankle, you know, grab your leg. I never thought about that at all. My guy had an ax in my mind. <laughs> and he was going to chop my feet off. I hope there are no kids in here. Cover their heads right now. It's, it's not real. Cover their heads. Well, you can do that, I guess. Their ears is what I meant, though. And not only was he going to chop my feet off, he was just going to keep going. Foo, 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 foo. Ah! You know, and I would see him right there. So you can imagine, my my parents with four kids, they said, turn your own light off. I mean, they didn't come in and, you know, do all this stuff. So we'd take turns, who was going to turn the light off. And I remember when it was my turn, I'd gauge where the bed is and I'd look around and I'd hit that light and, you know, I hit that, and then cover up and I was okay once I got the covers over my head. It was a real bummer when I missed the bed though, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Felt like a six-month scramble to get back up there on that smooth oak floor, you know, running in place. <laughs> I was afraid of the dark because I didn't know what was out there. You know, as adults in our Christian life we're like that too. Some of our biggest fear comes from bad things happening that lead us to think worse things could happen. And then we start to fear things that haven't taken place and probably completely unfounded in many cases for sure. We're afraid of what we cannot see. We face a trial. We don't know what's out there. Terrible things could take place and the enemy will come in and start to work on those thoughts and he brings fear. And that's why Jesus said over and over again, fear not, fear not because I am with you. I read somewhere this week that only 8% of what we worry about are legitimate concerns. That means that 92% of what you and I might worry about will never even take place, if that's true. It is fear of the dark, it is fear of something that might be there that isn't actually there. We need God to help us with our fears too, don't we? The enemy would want to bind you up and make you so afraid of what could happen that you can't enjoy what is happening. And there are a lot of good things around us that are happening. When we come to a difficult circumstance in life, if we're not careful, we'll let the fear of what is out there keep us from faith that God is bigger and will help us. I want to read that again. If we're not careful... We'll let the fear of what is out there keep us from faith that God is bigger and will help us. Now that's faith. If you'll have this attitude that whatever I face, God is bigger and he has a heart to help me, that's faith. I'm telling you, that's also a mental discipline. Did you know you can make your mind follow your will? It took me a long time to figure that out. I can take a thought captive and say, I'm not going to receive that thought. The Bible says to take thoughts captive that set themselves up against Jesus Christ. And then I'll start to quote scripture. Jesus, you say you're with me. You say you love me. Your word says you're powerful and you do miracles. I'm trusting you for the best outcome in this. And life goes better for me. My heart is not as heavy. Now listen, these are battles, but they're battles between the ears that need to be won in a spiritual sense. Look at the faith of the psalmist here. This is the 23rd Psalm I'm about to read you in the New Living Translation. He talks in here about some tough circumstances but I love his attitude in the midst of those circumstances that he's not denying. I don't think we have to deny that they're hard circumstances but in the midst of them you can hear him speaking faith and placing his trust in God in the midst of those trials. 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. And here's where he talks about valleys. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, not a dark valley, the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close behind me. Now that is a tender thought. Jesus is right there with you. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Somehow this guy can see that the Lord is still there to bless in the midst of the valley. Somehow he has hope for coming out of that valley. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's faith in there. He was overcoming his fear with faith. And that's what Bartimaeus did here too. Others were saying he won't want to see you, but blind Bartimaeus, thought of as the lowest in the culture, reached and found faith somewhere and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, said, call him. Bam, he's healed. And then he starts following Jesus down the road. Placing your faith in Jesus is what brings healing. Hebrews 11.1, one, <clears throat> excuse me, says, faith is the confidence that what we ho- hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. I like this definition I'm going to call it a definition of faith. It's from Pete Wilson's book called Plan B. And by the way, if you're going through a real trial, it's a great book. Plan B. It When plan A doesn't work in your life, it talks about plan B and how God will meet you. Our plans aren't always the Lord's plans, right? Someone said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <clears throat> well, here's what he said. When you respond in your current circumstances as if you were confident that God is there, you see God in the circumstances. That's faith. When you believe he has a heart for you, when you're confident that he cares and he's there, somehow he shows up in a greater way. He comes and honors that faith to say, my people, my children, they believe in me, and bam, he is on. Faith. Bartimaeus, his body was healed. His heart was healed. Have you heard of Tammy Trent? She's a um, contemporary Christian music artist. She has an incredible story. Here's part of her story, and this is from the book Plan B that I just talked about. I want to read it to you. It began in September of 2001. When Tammy was invited on a mission trip to Jamaica, her husband, Trent, she had taken his first name as her last name, was going along because they planned to take a week of vacation before the mission trip started. They had a fantastic week together in Jamaica. Then, with one day left before the mission trip, Trent decided he wanted to go diving in the Blue Lagoon, a famous water hole just east of Port Antonio. He had been a certified diver since age 12, so Tammy wasn't worried. It was just a lovely last day in what had been a memorable vacation. After driving out to the Blue Lagoon, Tammy and Trent had lunch beside the dock. They chatted while Trent put on his wetsuit and fins and then sat together for a while beside the deep blue water. Tammy even took a few pictures at Trent's request. Then Trent slipped into the water. Baby, he said. I'll just be about 15 minutes. When I get back, we'll go do something you want to do. Okay, Trent, she answered nonchalantly. Tammy watched her husband slip into the water and swim out toward the deep hole he wanted to explore. About halfway there, he lifted his head and he waved goodbye to Tammy and she waved back. She had no idea it'd be the last time she'd ever see Trent alive. Trent was free diving that afternoon, diving without an oxygen tank. So as Tammy sat there watching the water, she would see him bob up every few minutes and catch his breath. She finished her lunch. She got distracted by a boat and some snorkelers in the area. And then suddenly she realized it had been more than 30 minutes since she'd last seen Trent come up for air. It's okay, she told herself, trying not to panic. Everything's fine. Trent's a great diver. He's made this kind of dive a million times. There's nothing to worry about. But Tammy was worried. In fact, she was frantic. The men in the boat took her out to search, but they couldn't find Trent. Divers were called in, but they had to give up when darkness fell. All Tammy could do was wait and pray and prepare herself as best she could for what they would find. They recovered Trent's body the next morning. This was the single most terrifying event in Tammy's life and she was in a location where she knew no one. Her family, her friends, and her church were thousands of miles away trying to make arrangements to get to her. And Tammy was in shock, feeling hopeless and fearful and scared and numb. Knowing God was with her, she never really doubted that, yet feeling totally alone. She was sitting in her hotel room trying to get her head around what had just happened when another guest called her to turn on the television. She switched it on just in time to see a jet plow into the twin towers of the World Trade Center. That day was September 11, 2001. Tammy just stood there in shock thinking, what does this mean? The world is falling apart. America is falling apart. Nothing seems to make sense. And she kept wondering, what now? What now, God? But a couple of days later, while Tammy's family and friends were trying frantically to get her home, Tammy had an experience she'll never forget. She remembers sitting alone in her hotel room, hotel bathroom, weeping and crying out to God. With tears racing down her face, she desperately prayed, God, I need to know that you're real. Are you there? Can you hear me? Can you see me? Do you feel the pain that I feel? At that moment, she found herself longing desperately to be with someone who loved her. All American flights were grounded because of the 911 tragedy, so no one in her family could get to her. She missed her mother especially, and she told God so. She said, God, if you can hear me, could you just send somebody to hold me? I'm not asking for thousands of angels or even hundreds, just one angel who will hold me. Silence. Tammy sat there a while longer sniffling and then somehow she got the impression that she was supposed to get up and leave the bathroom. She walked into the adjoining room and was puttering around there when she heard someone moving around. She stuck her head out into the hall and noticed the door to the adjoining room was open. Inside she saw a beautiful Jamaican woman standing there in a Hilton Hotel uniform. Tammy looked at the woman and asked, Ma'am, could you come in and make my bed? The woman said, Yes, but she also said, I've been trying to get to you. I could hear you crying. And I've been trying to get to you. Could I just come in and hold you? It was an instant answer to my prayer, Tammy remembers. Everything that I'd ever longed to experience before in my walk with God happened right there I had asked God could you just show up here right at this moment and he did it for me at that moment so I knew that somehow I would get through this I knew that God was very very real I knew I was not alone the writer of this book Pete Wilson asked Tammy what would you say to other people who are going through painful experiences And after a long pause, this is what Tammy Trent said. I would tell them to step back from the chaos. We can't see clearly when we're in the middle of it. Take a deep breath. Let the wind blow across your face. Whatever your challenge, you will get through this because no matter how things look, God is with you. That's faith. God has been with Tammy. Eight years later, 2009, Tammy Trent was selected by the Christian Music Hall of Fame as the inspirational female vocalist of the year. In the midst of that terrible pain, she's found that God has met her and is still blessing her and still using her life. Whether it's your body that is sick that you need Jesus to touch, whether it's your heart that is wounded, that you need him to touch. Cry out to Jesus and he'll touch you. He'll help you. Psalm 40 verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God.